Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. Today we are joined by Camille Abdurrahman, and Camille has been traveling the world for the last umpteenth years for bike fitting and helping share uh, the best philosophies and get people to move right. And the thing is, is that a lot of people don't really realize the value of a great bike fit. And that's one of the reasons early on in the podcast, I knew I needed to have a bike fitter on outside of myself to share with you guys uh, the importance of strength, to talk about a lot of the different things that we need to be thinking about. And no, it is not slam that stem. Uh, and also it's not aerodynamics alone. So Camille and I actually had a really great conversation. He and I met back at the USA Cycling uh, Coaching Summit in 2018, where I did a number of presentations and breakout sessions uh, for both the Junior Summit and for the Regular Summit. And he and I spoke for about an hour, hour and a half at uh, one of the dinners. And uh, I was just really impressed with uh, his knowledge, his understanding that uh, it's not about the bike, it's about the human being. Uh, and you're fitting the person based off of what their unique needs are, not what a uh, a gram says or a graph says about, oh, well, you have to be this, this, and this, because very few people, if any, and, and he actually mentions a number in our podcast here, uh, are actually fit, quote unquote, perfectly according to the numbers. And that's because of all the different variations that we have in the human body. Now, in today's episode, we talk a lot about the importance of strength, and this comes from Camille, not from me. Uh, so I do want to recommend if you are listening to this and you want to learn how to strength train properly as a cyclist or strength train properly as a triathlete, that I have two courses online, Strength Training for Cycling Success and Strength Training for Triathlon Success. They are two completely different uh, curriculums because each sport is very uniquely different and the demands are different. So if you're looking for these, you want to learn more about proper strength training from the world-leading expert, yours truly, you can look at trainingpeaksuniversity.com. You can find links to them also on the Human Vortex Training website here. Uh, and also make sure you're signing up for the newsletter. Lots of different stuff. I did a post a number of weeks ago uh, about the importance of student loans, uh, understanding them, because I do work with a number of college racers still and have worked in the past. And uh, this is important. So the newsletter is not just strength training, but talking about you and your well-being all around. But without further ado, let's jump in to our conversation with Camille. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, as much knowledge as I can and, uh, and answer any questions that you have. Well, you're a, a true fountain of information and uh, just a great mind when it comes to bike, everything bike and triathlon, really. I mean, I was really impressed when we were uh, talking on the, I think it was the dinner, if I'm not mistaken, we sat there for like an hour and just it really fantastic information. 
but I'd like to start off with having you share a little bit about how you got into coaching and bike fitting and especially flying around the world uh, to do this. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I first started as a, as a triathlete and, um, and after a couple of years, I started coaching and realized that uh, some of my athletes' um, lack of performance on the bike was definitely uh, the fitting. And, um, and I tried to to help them as much as I could, and I realized I needed to go back to school. So I, uh, my intention was just to do fitting just for my clients. And then after a couple of years, then it becomes another side of the business. Uh, and this has been motion fit. Uh, so right now, um, that's my primary uh, function is the, the bike fittings. And I still do coaching, uh, either cyclists or triathletes. Um, I, and the reason I got out, uh, traveling around the world is just, you know, I, I have clients that come to Central Florida for the team, Disney as one of them. And uh, they realize, hey, you know, you, you really can be a great resource uh, to our athletes and our, our community. So I, try, I had traveled to Dubai, Qatar. I had traveled to um, Bahamas and all over uh, the world. And, um, and I, you know, I continue to do that. You know, my next one will be Colombia. Uh, we have a lot of great cyclists over there. But, um, but that's kind of pretty much the story. I, I'm trying to to help us as many cyclists as I can. And, and my goal is pretty simple. I wanna make people happy on their bike. Uh, that's very much. And what about the, the philosophy you have? Because I noticed on your card, you have a, a number of certifications. You don't have just one bike fitting certification, but uh, uh, quite a few. So can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, there are many schools in the industry about bike fittings. And in my early years, um, after I went to the first couple one, I realized they have many different philosophy. And, but they also have uh, ways that, you know, if you really go deep, you start realizing, well, wait a minute, um, they really don't answer all the questions. And because as humans are all different. So I start kind of going to every single school and on bike fittings. And I wanted to know what was their philosophy and how can I utilize that philosophy on my practice. So I think one of the things that you as a fitter can be uh, a great, great fitter to help all the clients is understanding that one philosophy doesn't fit all the clients. You have to understand different ones because I see uh, clients coming into my, to my practice as a Pandora box. Uh, you don't know what type of problem they have. But while you're doing the analysis, you realize, well, wait a minute, I can pull this, this information I learned from this philosophy or this schooling and I can apply it to the client. And it, it sounds like I, I noticed, you know, slow twitch, we have retool. Uh, what do you find as far as each individual fit? Are there trends that people kind of fit into the retool style fit approach or it, it depends on, you know, what type of bike they're riding or what their aches and pains are? Well, I mean, uh, retool is, is definitely, it's almost like the name is, it's truly a tool that allows us fitters help the clients. Yes, you, uh, the company provides some guidance in terms of how the position of the individual should be. But in reality, it really comes from the, the 
part of the body analysis in the interview that you you do with a client. While you do that, you already you already know what that person have, what type of limitations, what type of abilities, and then what what position can you put that person on. Um, so now everyone will be uh, in an ideal fit. Uh, I would say that maybe ten percent of my clients, even at a high level performance, are perfect in terms of all the angles. It's just because they sometimes they have um, body inability or they come with injuries and it's impossible to to put that person on those positions. And that's something that as a fitter, that, that that's what got me into fitting as well is exactly what you said is everybody's so different. And I, I remember learning a number of years ago that there was a study done and between the two of us, Camille, we have four hips, but one of those four will have a femoral neck angle or where the, the upper leg bone kind of connects into the hips at uh, a difference of 20 to five, uh, five to 20 degrees in angle. And that's significant. So we, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as symmetrical, but we're not. What are some considerations that the listener who is new to bike fitting or maybe has had one bike fit but doesn't really understand and is looking to learn more? What are a couple of big pieces that they should keep in mind as they go to the fitter and suggestions are made? Well, I think they have to be open-minded first. Um, I, I think a lot of clients um, uh, been riding with a specific position and they're already accustomed to that. Uh, so sometimes it's, it's a obtain bad behavior, so bad position. When it comes to a fitter, they really kind of their body is kind of trying to work against that adjustment. But then you have to let the client needs to let the time goes and and allow the body to fully adapt to that new position. Um, also, you need to make sure that you know you have a, a really good fitter. You do your homework. Make sure you you have performed uh, your your work in terms to determine is is that fitter is going to be one that can help you on your on your goal, right? Are, are you a road cyclist, a triathlete, a mountain biker? So I think one of the good questions, and we can segue to this, one of the good questions when you're looking for a fitter is, you know, pick up the phone, call them, and ask them, how long you've been doing fittings? Uh, how many fits a week have you, you performed? Uh, what type of certifications? But I think the most important is not just the certification, it's just, uh, what are you uh, continuing education? Uh, are you going to, to, to I guess, your CEUs every year in, in the bike fitting industry? Because that's very important. You want to have someone who is very uh, up-to-date and really um, embrace knowledge into their practice. Um, and also ask them, do you ride a bike? What kind of bike are you riding? Because that's another part of the fitter needs to uh, be able to ride a bike just as well as them to understand where they're going, uh, what type of problem they will might in, in, uh, face throughout the riding. Uh, so that, I think that's very important. The they fitter needs to be make sure it's a rider as well uh, to relate to their problem. And that last part is, is really important. It, it doesn't mean that they have to ride, you know, as a professional or ride at a high level, but to ride a bike, because there are certain things that you, you, when you feel it, you understand it much better. At the same time, there's you know so much. I, I think bike fitting, even more so than coaching, the bike fitter needs a bike fitter as well. Like it, I found it at least when I was tinkering around, it's near impossible to fit myself, even with some of the technology out there. What are your thoughts on people trying to fit themselves at home? 
Yeah, that's that's good question. I mean, I think um, you, depending, you can do a pretty good job, but it's beyond that um, because then you really don't have a professional evaluation of uh, what is your body limitations. So while in an evaluation, we, we look at you, we look at your flexibility and we also look at your mobility and those two things are different. So uh, a lot of clients think that those are the same. So flexibility is like how, how can you stretch a muscle on a temporarily, right? Like a rubber band. And mobility is just the joint, uh, the range of motion there. And those are different. And so we wanted to make sure we understand what are your abilities and how can that apply into the adjustment of the bike. So while, while you do that yourself, you really don't have the comprehensive analysis of who are you and how can we adjust that tool, like the bike, uh, to meet uh, your, your lack or, or strength of your body. And that's something important for people to recognize because uh, at least in my practice as a bike fitter, and I've, I've kind of gone away from that the last couple of years just because of the time needed. But a lot of people are surprised when I tell them, look, a bike fit, our first one is going to take us between two and a half and three and a half hours. We're going to sit and talk for a good hour, hour and a quarter. And then we'll go through some range of motion, passive range of motion where I'll check your hips. We'll check your uh, knees a little bit. Look at your internal external rotation, your thoracic extension. And, I don't know about you, I get the question all the time, well, why are we looking at this? I'm just riding a bike. And what are your thoughts on this? Well, we, we're looking at those areas is because we want to understand biomechanically how he's actually engaged in the bike. Uh, because, I mean, the body is like a spiral web. It's all interconnected. And so we want to make sure is how, is, how are you functioning, right? And how that's going to transfer your ability to to perform on the bike, to, to pedal. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at uh, what are your muscles, are your muscles are firing correctly? Uh, is is your, your muscle balance from right to left is correct? Uh, that's, that's, that's very important because that's really is going to impact your performance or also it might impact your uh, future injuries as well. And you said that the body's a spider web. You used that exact verbiage. And I, I think that's really important for people to understand. And while we've made all these uh, advancements and adaptations to quote unquote functional training, uh, I for one am still waiting for the Thomas Myers train uh, anatomy trains to really take off because the fascial system in the body, there's several meridians uh, that tie together areas of the body that seemingly to the average person are not connected at all. Um, is that something that you really look at as they're riding? You know, how do you start your assessment? When do you start your assessment? Are you looking at them, how they sit in a chair, how they get up, how they walk? Well, I think the assessment start right when they're walking into the practice. You, you really, your job is start from, from right away. You start analyzing how they walk, how they sit, uh, how the posture is, um, and then from there, you take them to, you know, the massage table. And then you start kind of kind of doing some range of motions and, and talking to them, make sure they are very calm and, and understanding um, what is their background, what type of injuries they have. In most of the cases, the clients don't really share all the injuries. They might share the injuries that happened in the last five years. And while you're there, you say, mm, what happened on your right knee? What's it? Well, that happens, you know, 20 years ago. Well, you know, that's still 
that's still affecting them. Uh, so I think the client needs to understand they need to share all the information, even if it happens more than five, 10 years, uh, because uh, it, that could be something that still affect them. But it's, it's, it's part of the discovery. You know, I think um, if you do a fair and detailed assessment, you will discover that. Uh, and then you already make notes and, and see how that's going to affect uh, the person while they're cycling because that's now uh, uh, dynamic movement. And then when you look at that, then you say, okay, you know, I can see why that's happened on your right side because we already saw that on the assessment. And then you also have a, a history of injury. Uh, so I think that's very important. Uh, assessment to me is, is crucial. Uh, uh, when the client come in, I, I really don't even look at their bike. Uh, the bike to me is not important. Who is important and matters the most is the person and who and what can I identify while I do my assessment. That is critical. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is a gem. And the bike and how you have it set up when you walk in is not important. It's how you are moving. Uh, that is a fantastic uh, take home. And there's going to be a lot more uh, as we go forward here because you mentioned the dynamic movements and in injury history. And that's something that we really uh, try as coaches to, like you said, you know, people don't mention the one from high school or middle school, or uh, I was working with a professional UCI pro cyclist and just through the, our movement assessment before we got into the gym, I noticed a little bit of uh, something going on in his hips where one side wasn't working quite as well. I just said to him, did you ever, did you ever, you know, take a, a spill on the bike or, or a big jump and kind of, you know, have some pain in your back? And his response was actually, now that you mention it, when I was like five, he jumped off of a, a hell bay and he remembered for a couple of days that he was, you know, in bed and not feeling good when he was five and it's still affecting him at, you know, 28, 29. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think that uh, we, I mean, even us, we take that for granted. Um, some of those injuries that we actually, especially early age of our, like as a child, because that really will affect our biomechanic because um, if we have an injury that, it modified um, either joints or bonds that will carry over. Uh, and I think sometimes it's, you know, without correction. So that becomes your, I will say your new, the new way of your biomechanic. It might not be right, but now it's, it's 30 years later. That's, that's it. You can't change that. You just have to learn how to walk or work around that. Uh, and us feeders, and we need to be very savvy right? And, and always be thinking uh, outside the box. And, um, and I utilize, you know, I, I think this is a really good topic because I always utilize my tools to prove me wrong. And what I mean with that is when I do an assessment, I already have an idea of what type of position that person needs to be on. And then what I do from that point, so now I have my own case when I put that person on the bike and then I utilize my tools. I, I have a retool, which is 3D motion capture. We use Leomo. That's another motion capture system. And we also have um, saddle pressure mapping so we can see what's happening in the saddle on the pressure. And we use insole inside of the shoe. And I use those tools to prove me that my theory of how I'm going to position that person is either right or wrong. And, and, and I use that in every single client. 
because I'm using my theory based on a, of 18 years of experience, but I want to make sure that I, I keep myself honest and I want to make sure the data that the system is providing me either is we're going on the right track or it's proved me wrong. And if it proved me wrong, I want to know why, why that happens. And sometimes we have to, sometimes when our client is there and I can't, I can't figure out, I have to put that person back on the table and do a deeper analysis to identify why is this happening. You, ha you cannot just let a client leave your practice without knowing why and also what can you, how can you help the clients? Who can, who can that client see in terms of a, a professional services? Could be chiropractor, could be physical therapist or a screening condition coach. Um, so you really want to make sure that you help that person. So now it's not just getting the fit, it's also improving their fitness so the fit can be uh, accommodated to that. And a lot of that people would tie into, mistakenly, they'll call it flexibility. So you mentioned at the beginning of our interview here, the difference between flexibility and mobility. Would you mind going into that a little bit and, and expanding? Because it sounds like that's a really big misconception or misunderstanding. And that can be the difference between a great fit and a not great fit. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think some, so especially females, females have a great uh, flexibility uh, in, in them. That's what I see in my practice. Uh, but the, the flexibility in, in, uh, I, uh, it comes from, from your muscles and the mobility really comes from the, it's a little bit more complex because it's, it's, it's integrate all the joints and the range of motion. So if you kind of think about it, like trying to think about your shoulders and how you rotate it, um, some guys might have, just because they do a lot of weight lifting, well, the range of motion is limited based because the muscles are really, really tight. Um, but that doesn't mean that the range of motion from the joints is, is good or bad. So I, I think you have to think about it as more complex, like the hip flexor. Uh, the tightness can, could come from lack of mobility from the joint, not necessarily from the muscle around it. Uh, and so yeah, I think, you know, while you do the evaluation, you really can't, can determine, oh, okay, you know, range of motion is limited because the hamstring is overused uh, and not really the, actually the hip flexor itself. Um, and so you, you really have to make sure that you identify that those two are different things, not, not the same. Well, you mentioned how the hamstrings are overused in, in cycling. Let, let's use that and, and just kind of do a soft pivot into you know, as a bike fitter, what should be the primary muscles used for cycling? Well, wow, that's a, that's a deep question. And, and what I've seen in the past, and uh, there are two cases. Um, most of clients come in here uh, with overused hamstring and lower back. And underutilized uh, glutes, medias, or glute maximus. Um, some of them, they, they, when the clients say, well, I, I, I do squatting, I do all that type of workout. But in reality, they never, never engage the glutes. Um, and so when you do some of the assessments um, in terms of either muscle activation between the primary muscles, which is hamstring, glutes, and lower back, uh, you identify that they're bypassing the glutes all the time whatsoever. In others, 
you see they have no strength on their glutes at all. And that really affects knee tractions um, and the pedal uh, phases of the bike. Uh, that also affect uh, if the client get off the bike and trying to kind of sprint or go up the hill, you know, that really put their, those knees uh, in danger uh, just because they don't have glutes to control those, those motions. Um, so uh, I, I think most of them, they come in with uh, overuse hamstring uh, for sure. And that's something that I saw in one of the first bike fits I did actually after finishing the Serata uh, school is I had uh, one of the teams that I sponsored and the athlete came in, he had knee pain. It's like a perfect storm. You know, everything kind of clicked in. He needed strength. We spoke about it. I did the bike fitting and he's like, oh, I should do a bike fit. So we were trying to get him to activate the glutes. We did a, a squat testing and, and a number of other movements, uh, which I have in the strength training for cycling success course. But just because you're doing a squat or movement does not mean you're executing it properly. And it was very apparent with him he wasn't. And it sounds like you, you see that a lot as well. So we were going through the different tools and uh, saying to him, okay, you know, roll over onto your back, try and squeeze your butt together. Couldn't do it. Okay, let's roll over onto your stomach and, you know, try squeezing one glute. And we went through all these different tools. And finally, uh, a little bit out of uh, desperation, I kind of said, you know, so-and-so, what do you do if you have diarrhea? And he just reached back and pushed his butt cheeks together because <laughs> uh, he didn't have any recruitment. <laughs> um, have you seen that commonly where, where athletes, no matter what you do, they, they just can't recruit those muscles to fire? Yes, and I see that very common. Uh, and it, unfortunately, it comes from our, our society. So, you know, if you, if you look in today's society, which is very modern, we spend a lot of time sitting. You know, we go to work, we drive a car, sitting, we go to the office, sit all day, come home, have dinner, maybe watch TV, and we spend all that time sitting. And then when we get on the bike, we expect uh, the the muscles, the glutes to engage just because we are on the bike. And but we spend 90% of our time on sitting position and inactivating your glutes. And and you know, to be honest with you, is the body is a super smart uh, complex system. And he will identify if you're sitting all the time, why should we engage the glutes? Uh, let's transfer that energy to somewhere else. And so after a while, then there is a disconnect of engagement and the glutes doesn't engage anymore. And we see that all the time. And I think you, you, you really hit a good topic is not because you're doing a strength training, that means that you actually utilizing the right muscle groups. And, and I, I actually, one of the um, evaluation, I asked them to do a, a squatting position. And I, right away, I say, if you do a squatting, you should stop and then you, you need to seek a professional services because you're overusing your back and your hamstring to lift. Uh, and you will hurt yourself and you're not engaging the right muscles. You, your technique is incorrect. And you should not load any weight on your, on your back just for that. Um, so we, we see that a lot. And so, you know, with that, just, just think about it. I think a lot of clients come in and they, and they want to improve their cycling performance and they're willing to put a lot of time on their bike. But if you just think about it a little bit more deeper and simple, if they have a glute issue on the bike, 
that's around 40% of the major force that's happening on, on the pedal. That, that goes around 12, if you're looking at the crank, you, you're thinking about 12 o'clock to five o'clock. That is super massive force that should come generated by the glutes. Uh, and if you are not engaging that, you really leave in that performance on the table. So if you continue doing your training and then you get off the bike and start doing some glute activation and, and really work on that, that will transfer that benefit to the bike automatically. You don't have to put more time on the bike. So I think that you need to, I really recommend it, that everyone should do an evaluation of themselves by a professional services and identify how am I doing? What is my weakness? What should I be working on to prepare yourself for the next season? So let's, let's use that to kind of parlay into um, how exactly the lack of strength will affect your bike fitting options, because this is something and your performance off the bike. You know, uh, we, we had another guest here, Dr. Stuart McGill spoke about engrams and, and movement patterns and how the, like exactly what you said, the body's a complex, smart system. If one thing's not working, it's going to figure out another way to do it. What exactly do we see when someone is lacking strength and, and balance, we'll say, at different joints? How does that affect their bike fitting options? Well, um, so I'm going to go to one topic I think is, is uh, if you search on the web, it's, it's really a mixed information. And I want to discuss upper body strength. And, uh, and I know everyone will be thinking, well, wait a minute, uh, you, were, you were talking about glutes and hamstring and everything else, what my upper body has to do with this. In reality, so when we're looking at professional athletes, they spend uh, hours and hours on the saddle, and they really don't need to do that much strength training on their upper body. They do, but it's not that much because they already re acquire muscular endurance strength on the bicep tricep by holding handlebars. Now, let's look at the non-professional cyclists and how can they benefit from that. And it's because uh, bicep triceps are really important on the road bike to, in order for you to maintain your back and your pelvis position. Because most of the time what we just see on the road is the clients or the cyclists are locking the elbow and all the pressure goes either on the hand, so they become hand numbness or shoulder issues or neck problems. And sometimes you see them say, well, you know, I can't perform as well because I get so tired and I need to back off. Their legs are doing fine, but their upper body is not. And you have to think about it, cycling is not about just the leg, it's, it's everything. It's like a harmony. Everything is connected, so you need to make sure that your upper body is up to par as well to maintain that position as well than just your leg. Um, your core is another one, uh, and a lot of people think about core and abdomen. You know, it's not just your abs, it's everything else. It's your hip flexor, it's, it's your, your back. Um, you're having a full control of your body uh, as a three dimensional movements. It's not just one way, right? Because we spend a lot of time in the cycling forward movements of the, of in, in pedal, but it's a lot of things happening on the pelvis and you need to make sure your pelvis is full control and full engage 
uh, while you're pedaling. So string training is, is, is crucial in, in those areas. And a lot of people don't realize that the obliques, in particular the external obliques, which are, are there that we can really tap into, uh, tie into the pectoralis major on the opposite side and the glutes. The glute uh, oblique connection is very strong. And Dr. McGill talks about this in his book, uh, Low Back Disorders, uh, at length. And a lot of people don't realize, they think, oh, I'm, I'm planking, I'm doing it right. But really, they're often just hanging on to the, the, end, the, the ligaments, essentially, of the back, and they're not really getting what they need to. So, you know, you mentioned the glutes before provide close to 40% of the power on the bike. That's so important to develop them, and yet so many people are just worried about planking and crunches and small things that really aren't building the spider web, as you called it, to be able to be functioning better. So it sounds like there's a lot of different complex moving parts. Uh, I know one thing that, that a lot of people don't tend to understand, and, and this was just posted on Cycling Hub uh, the other week, was I did a lacrosse ball release for an internal external rotation of the shoulder. And a lot of people's responses, uh, those who commented were like, how is this going to help my cycling? You know, what is it that, or why is it that people don't have that connection between shoulder function and their ability to perform on the bike? What have you seen as a, a fitter? Yeah, I mean, all, all that is really uh, connected to the performance and the bike fit uh, positioning. Um, and that's a very good topic because, you know, we cyclists, we all think upon our hip and all the way down, but nothing on the way up. And, and that is part of how are you positioned? Are, are you letting your shoulders, um, either is you have enough mobility or, or you have enough release to the muscle be kind of engaged with your handlebar and your position there. So I, I think you can never uh, overlook uh, the um, either shoulder muscle, traps muscle, bicep, tricep. I think all that is connected. And so I think that's a very valid point. It is, it is definitely connected because if you have uh, shoulder problems or tightness, that will actually impact how are you position your your hands and the handlebars and how can you drop your elbows because it all comes from your, your definitely your shoulders and your traps. So that's very important. And that, and actually it goes to another part of, of the bike fitting. So, you know, so we talk about the, the evaluation when we do with the clients and then we talk about all the adjustment that we might do in the shoes, which is, that's a very important area uh, in the bike fitting. So make sure the shoes are, are critical, very critical. And then we talk saddle and all that. But the last part is positioning. How can you teach your client how to really position themselves on the bike? And that goes to the upper body and the, and the shoulder and all that is a lot of clients don't know how to sit on the bike or how to hold the shifters and, and, and how to bend the elbows. Um, and that's a very important part because it's not just the bike fitting. You wanna teach the clients how to engage properly on the bike and how all those components were designed because those, those handlebars and those shifters has a purpose, a human purpose, how you position yourself. Um, so when you're holding that incorrectly, you're sitting incorrectly, well, this design of the saddle has a purpose. And if you're not sitting correctly, your pelvis is not rotated where the saddle should be used, 
then you are now using the, the components correctly. So coaching and, and positioning is, is a, a, a critical component at the end of the fitting process. You kind of really polish in that client and say, I want to teach you how to ride your bike now. But I think that all ties together. And it sounds like upper body strength really uh, can benefit not just your road cycling, but your triathlon in particular, the TT and the mountain bike. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how that is important? And in fact, you know, I'd say vital for cyclists, especially road cyclists and time trialists to get upper body strength. Yeah, it, it does. And, and, you know, if, if you really understand how to uh, get off the saddle and sprint, you understand that it's a connection between your pulling on your arms and then and, and do the, the pedal uh, strokes on uh, with your legs, and those two have a, a connection, right? Um, a relationship. Having upper strength is important, not only for sprint, or you could be doing a climbing, and you could be off the saddle. So you need to have upper body strength to control your body and your handlebar position. So that's that's crucial there. Um, when you go to triathlon, we need to make sure that you are supporting yourself correctly. Because now you are resting your weight on the aero bars, and and so you need to make sure that your your shoulders are engaged, your traps are relaxed. Because what happened is you went from swimming, using all your arms, and now you're on the bike. So that handlebars or the aero bar should be in a position you're super comfortable, and you are not uh, pulling any muscle from your traps or anything else, or for your shoulders. Because you need to understand that you need the, the muscle, the shoulders, the bicep traps, relax because you need to be using that while you're running. You need to have that mobility of your arms while you're running as well. So that is an, a great opportunity to make sure you rest a little bit on your upper body. And then when you go to the mountain bike, then now you have different requirements, right? So you might need to do some uh, back pulls, because you be you need to pull your bike uh, as you go into the course, um, but you still have to have upper body uh, strength uh, as well. And it, I think it goes to any of cycling. It's just uh, mountain bike might not might require a little bit more uh, because of the the engagement of of, of controlling your bike in the course. So you you mentioned uh, about how the the positioning uh is important and how that's affected with the upper body strength so what would be a couple takeaways two or three takeaways for upper body that the listeners at home can immediately implement what would be some suggestions you have um suggestion number one and this i think is super simple uh and i think we all take it for granted is simple push-up uh exercise is a, a great benefit, but done correctly, not overextending your shoulders, make sure your arms stay close. Think about it because what happened is, is um, push-up is not, in, and you know better, it's not a single uh, uh, joint workout. So when you do push-up, you can, you can squeeze your glutes, you already can activate your glutes, and then you activate your core to make sure that that part there is is engaged so you do a little bit of that core as well and then if you keep your arm close to you you can really engage your your primary muscles you're trying to do which is bicep tricep 
we're not trying to do shoulders, it's trying to do bicep triceps. And uh, we want to make sure it's controllable. We are, are not trying to say that you need to do X amount of movement. It's just quality of movement so that way you can engage better on the bike. So push-up will be number one. And I think second, especially for triathletes, will be elbow planks. Uh, and even for raw cyclists, I think that's a good workout. Uh, with the caution is that you need to make sure that you have a proper uh, hip placement and make sure your, your technique is good. Uh, so that way you don't overuse your lower back. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, clients doing that um, with poor back issues. And that's exactly why I'm such a huge proponent of the uh, RKC planks, where I, I call them max effort planks. You know, how do you max effort a plank? So it, it piques the curiosity, whereas if I call them RKC planks, they're like, I don't know what RKC is. Uh, <laughs> Royal Kenneth Cycling, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Russian Kettlebell Club, yes. Um, but it really allows them to understand the proper position. And we also see them get into that quote unquote riding position right away where the scapula come forward and they're rounding their upper back. Uh, and it allows us to kind of coach a little bit more the positioning uh, that they'll need on the bike. I'd like to get into that a little bit more, you know, tell us about the positioning coaching because you mentioned that's towards the end of the fit. So how does that work and, and what are you looking for? So there are, there are different things we were looking for. So I, I look things that matters the most. And, and really it goes to details. Uh, details on how your hands position. And it could be any position. It could be on a mountain bike. It could be a TT position, which is TT position or time trial, that, uh, triathlon. That is a very detailed because you, you have so many uh, areas to look at, like your elbow position, your hand position, your your shoulders. So you're trying to teach the person how to roll their shoulders accordingly, and how to position the neck and the and the and the head while they're cycling. Um, and the rope bike, you know, the biggest one I think is is, is teaching the person how to rotate the pelvis. Um, I think that if you imagine you if you sitting on the on the on a regular chair, you sit and um, um, straight up and down, and they think that the way they sit on the bike is that position. Is, but the only difference is they curve in the bike, the, the curve in the back to reach to the handlebar. Yep. And in, and in, in reality, is is that's wrong. In reality, you need to rotate your pelvis in order to ride your saddle. You're not sitting on the saddle; you're riding the saddle. Um, and, um, when, when they do that, they, they actually kind of promote problems on the lower back. And also they had the feel of the handlebar is so far away. It's just because their body is really not engaged. Um, so you teach them that and, and you also teach, teach them how to, um, uh, hold the handlebar properly, how to position the hands from the top to the bottom. And really it's just my job is to to make them learn to engage with the bike accordingly properly um because i think that we don't have we don't as as we are cyclists we just buy a bike and we go to a group ride and and that's it we're just trying to mimic what everybody else is doing and most of the time it's not the right thing 
Uh, so my job, I want to just with a bike fit is also, I want to make them a better cyclist and hopefully they can teach others as well. So one of the things that I, I use, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear because you have far more bike sit fit experience than I do. I, I coach, I ask the, the question of, are you sitting on your bike or are you riding your bike? Because that's how I like to make that differentiation. Is there a certain uh, cues or words that you use to help the, the athlete understand the difference between those positions? Yeah, that, and that's a hard one. Uh, and that's a hard one because um, you um, are asking the athlete and every person has a different um, feel of the saddle, like the sensation. Also, um, not everybody is really in tune to their body um, as an athlete. And we, we see that all the time. I mean, uh, we, we, I see athletes that they can ride any saddle, anything, and, and they don't care. And there have others that are very in tune. You change one millimeter and they know that. Um, and, and so you, you really have to kind of use your personal and professional uh, background and their feedback. And, and you kind of figure out ways to work that. Now, with today's technology, we utilize, uh, like, for instance, we discussed saddle mapping, where you put this a little bit layer uh, between the saddle and the client, and then we can see what's really happening in terms of pressure. And that, right there, we can say the client is not riding the bike. The client is just sitting on the bike, and, and that's it. Uh, we can also look at their uh, lower back or mid-back uh, um, rotation, and you can see it's just over-rotating the back, and then you can say oh, they're sitting on the bike, not riding the saddle. Um, um, and another issue too is, is when we see is the uh, sometimes actually they're trying to without thinking they're trying to put at least amount of pressure on the saddle by kind of pushing their body up from the pedal. So they're trying to pedal really quickly to elevate the body a little bit, um, and that's just either because the saddle uh, create problems or the saddle does not provide adequate support. So this is it's the wrong saddle. So we see both of those. So we, because then we start seeing overpressure on your foot and, and not enough pressure on the saddle. And then we identify that that is a, a trying to make that work rather than they're riding the saddle. So it sounds like the, the bike fit and, and strength and the power production uh, and the positioning are kind of the, the four pillars, I guess, of, of finding that happy medium. Would that be a, a true statement? Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think that's a true statement, statement for anything, right? I think we forget the basic. Basic is, you know, we need to make sure that we take care of ourselves in, in terms of strength training. It's, it's, it's a... Um, critical components of, of life and, and if you want to perform anything or even if you are a master writer uh, and then flexibility is another component I think those goes together no matter what type of sport you're doing or or if you're not doing any sport you should be em emphasizing on that uh, because we are humans and we we meant to have um, control of our, our body and our core and and uh, because, you know, if you don't have proper strength training, uh, 
you know, your muscles are what protects your, your ligaments and, and your bones, right? So we forget that they, has a fu- they have a function. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Uh, but then we become an athlete, well, then that function become a little bit more important. Uh, but if we go to the basic, we need to have proper strength on our body to function correctly as, as an individual. And that's, you, that's just a, a fantastic thing everybody needs to hear is that the main job of the muscles is to protect the joint. Number two is to stabilize the joint while an adjacent joint moves. And the last is to move a joint. Uh, you also mentioned flexibility. And I want to remind the listeners again, go back and listen to the beginning of the interview because um, Camille did a fantastic job of telling you there's a difference between flexibility and mobility. So what would you say to somebody out there? And I, I'm Really, really looking forward to hearing your answer here. Hey, Camille, I know I came for a bike fit with you, but listen, I'm going to slam the stem. What, what do you have? What words of advice for you, do you have for people who just want to slam the stem and look pro? Wow, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> well, we all wanted to look pro, right? Um, and I think the, the problem there is well, what is the trade off? Uh, you you want to look pro, do you have the ability? And it's your machine, right? Because every bike manifests. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's a podcast by itself, just bike dimensions. It, does that allow that to happen? Do you have enough? Um, are you closing your airways, your hip flexors? Because what happens is, yes, you can slam that, you can go lower and try to be aerodynamic, but sometimes the cost is greater and it's not worth it. Uh, because either you are unable to produce the same amount of power or you are um, heart rate goes higher because your airways are close up. So in reality is in, or, and, and you also have to think about it. Do you have the strength and the flexibility and mobility to be there? And those are three things, flexibility, mobility, and strength to be at that position. That's, that's critical. And you mentioned, I'm going to pull one, well, you said numerous things there, uh, the mobility, <laughs> the strength, the flexibility. I want to focus in real quick for the airway. Uh, I wrote a piece for Pez Cycling News a while ago about breathing, and the response was also again, huh? What? Why are we talking about breathing? I'm not dead. I'm doing it right. Uh, how, does, how do you look at that uh, positioning on the bike? So, okay, you want to stand, slam your stam? Okay, well, let's check. You have both the mobility and you have the flexibility. Where, where do you put that, that line where it starts to affect the breathing? How, how do you coach people into that more aggressive position? Uh, or do you just kind of give them the other tools that they need to get into that more aggressive position before uh, it affects their breathing? Well, I think that we see those cases a lot is on uh, like a time trial position where you know the hip flexor and the knee on the upstroke come very close to the body uh, and or the uh, arrow bars are very close in so they're putting a lot of you know kind of pressure on the on the uh, respiratory area and so i think we have to kind of look at it you know we i i like to say well you know the data have to back up your ability there now you know not only the part of mechanics standpoint uh, because I really the aerodynamic is, is the last point but also look at let's look at your data let's look at your power let's look at your your uh, your heart rate when, when you combine those two in those two different positions 
And then, you know, I think that the answer is clear. It might not be the answer that client want, but it's clear. Uh, data doesn't lie. Uh, and so I think that, you know, you, you just have to provide the data and show the clients, you know, look, you know, really this is not helping you. There are other ways that you can benefit from it. You know, you, rather than slamming that, you might need to uh, utilize a better clothing to be more aerodynamic. Uh, or, you know, you, you know the, if you look at it, what is the biggest aerodynamic uh, constraint in the bike? It's not the bike, it's you. It's, it's, it's almost 80% is, is, is you. So if he, um, if he is body weight, it's an issue. Well, that's one. Um, or equipment to improve that. So sometimes it's, it's slamming that. Actually, it's evidence where in, in wind tunnel testing we have done that sometimes going lower is worse. Um, so, you know, and, and that's the thing is everyone is, is so different because one, you're a completely different individual and then you have to think about it. What equipment do you have? And when you match that, it, it will be different than everybody else. And Again, there's so much in the answer. I'm going to hone in on one. Uh, and I'm sure that the listeners have a bunch of, of, of questions. And again, I'll mention here that uh, Camille's website is motionfit.net. So you can reach him there uh, to ask your questions. You mentioned aerodynamics is last. And the first thing that comes to mind for me was a conversation I had at the end of a training camp with another rider. Um, and there were, you know, everybody hangs out after and they slowly filter out and they're heading home. So it's me, him, and another rider who are, he's getting a ride back with him. We have this argument in his argument is aerodynamics is all that matters. You need the fastest tires, the fastest wheels, the fastest bike. And I said, you know, well, tell me about the positioning. What do you think about the position? You need to be as low and aero as possible. And I said, well, actually it really depends. Number one, Number two, it's the equipment selection. So shoe covers can be useful as well as a, a good skin suit. Like at the time it was, uh, I think, um, uh, what's the name of the brand that came out? I can't, uh, Castelli had the fastest skin suit at the time. And I said, you have to be in a position you can produce the most power for the longest period of time and still be comfortable. And he's like, no, it's aerodynamic. And we went back and forth. And finally, I just said, okay, you're right. And there was a pause for about two minutes. And then he said, you know, speaking of aerodynamics, when I'm down at my tuck, my elbow's been really bothering me and I can't stay down there. And the other rider just lost it. He just started laughing so hard. And the other rider who's arguing with me is like, what? Why are you laughing at? He's like, nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. Um, how do you get this, this uh, point across? Because there are so many riders out there where as coaches and bike fitters, we're like, listen, it's not the lowest that matters. It's, it's making you comfortable to produce that power. What are some, some tools that you use to help get that across so you don't get into these kinds of arguments or back and forth with the, the rider? Well, I think you have, you know, I think number one, you have to educate the client. I think, uh, you know, as a, when you're on your practice, you really can't overlook uh, as a, the education part of the components when you're hiring. You really need to, to engage with your client so that he has a buy-in into it and understand. And, and reality is, well, who cares about all the aerodynamics when, you know, you can barely sustain that 10 Ks into the 40 K race. Um, so, you know, that go off the window or, you know, you, you, great. You, you, you trying to fake it, maintain it, but you producing, you know, 30, 40 Watts less just because, you know, you are unable to pedal as hard as you used to. And we've seen them, you know, many cases where professional riders 
uh, you know, they, they were performing very well. They got into, you know, this super aggressive and they started losing races and then go back to their previous position and they, they going back and start winning. And, and really it's just, you know, it's your ability to perform your best and aerodynamic comes to, to a price, but I think that, you know, you, you also have to look at all their equipment before you start kind of going too aggressive on the rider. Um, and, I, and I, you know, my, my, my takeaway on that too is I always look at it the other part, right? So I'm a parent. And so when a client come in, I'm thinking, well, this could be my child. So if I put that person to a, to super, super tight position, what are the long-term effects of that to their body? We also have to look at that. We, as a professionals, we need to think about that because sometimes that the it's not worth it. Um, and I see a lot of you know young kids that come in the triathletes and the parents bring them talk to them and say, okay, we need to stop in this area because this is safe. This is part of the development. But as an adult, I also have to look at that and say, you know, this might, might cause this type of problems and it could be permanent issues later on. So I think you have to be very cautious of that. That's so important. That is so important. And so many people don't, I'll just put my as aggressive as I can. So what would be something, what, what would be the two or three things that someone comes into you and says, Camille, I have, uh, let's be realistic here. Let's use a good number. I have uh, the money to pay you for a fit and to come back to you, you know, four more times in the next three months. And I have another $5,000 that I can spend on making myself as aerodynamic and fast as possible. What would be your answer to that person? They'll say, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. What would be your answer to them? Wow. Uh, well, my answer for them will be like, first, let's make sure you have the three components. You have a strength, flexibility, and mobility. That's one. Uh, because if you don't, then you need to see professional services to get you there. That's one. Um, and I think the, the second part will be um, skin suit, helmet, aero wheels, uh, and a good bike uh, to start with. Um, and I think it's, a, I, I, that's another part of the bike fitting. I think the biggest problem we have as a bike fitters, and, and it's a different, it's a, it's a different between bike fitters on the bike shops and a, a bike fitters that are in the independent bike fitters. So also, and I include myself, we are independent bike fitters that are not in a bike shop and my job or our job is consulting. And so we are neutral of what type of brand and equipment we recommend to our client. So one of the things that we, I prefer is a client is like, I'm looking for a bike and they come to me and then we have uh, different tools. It's a, we can call it size bike machine. And what I do is I actually look in at the most optimal position, the best fit position for that person. And then when I'm, co I'm complete with that, then I look at, what are the geometries of this size machine? Who makes that? So I, I go backwards, like it's almost like a reverse engineering. Um, and then um, I recommend the client what equipment. And, and, and through that process, it's nice because you're not, you're not really telling them what bike. You also recommend them what saddle because you already tested throughout this, the evaluation, what 
what crank length, what handlebar size, everything. So it's more like a, a complete package rather than the client buy a bike and then come to me. So sometimes I have to kind of work based on what they have rather than the other way around. Okay, tough question. And that was a really good answer. We're going to get into that as we wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but really tough question. Someone comes to you, let's say 23, 22, still in college, and they have a bike. It's the right size for them. We, we know that we will assume that we know that the, the bike itself, the frame size fits them. They come to you and say, Camille, I have saved $789. And I'm contemplating either getting a bike fit with you and, and one or two pieces of used equipment or power. What would your recommendation be? What would wow. help long term? That's really tough. And, <laughs> and I'll be honest because so the, that's a good one. And, and I actually, I can be, uh, be honest on that because I'm also I'm a coach and I'm a fitter. And I'm an athlete, so I'm, I kind of, I kind of get that. Yeah. And wow. And the problem is, well, let's let's put it. This, let, let me turn it around the other way, so that way listeners can kind of, kind of think about this. Well, a power meter will be hugely important uh, for the training, but but they need to know how to use a power meter, understand data, the metrics. Um, so that is a great tool. But the, at, the other, at the other hand, even if the person have a really good comprehension of how to use that power meter, but if the bike is not positioned correctly, so you can leave a lot of performance on the table or as the training increases, because now he has a power meter, so he's doing more intervals, he actually could actually um, uh, get some injuries based on a lack of proper bike fitting. So, I, I, you know, it's really hard. Now, if, he, if you ask me if I have that case, I would say, you know, I'd rather get them on the uh, safe um, position on the bike. I think that will be a long-term benefit for that person than the power meter. But it's, 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 it's almost 50-50. Yeah, it depends, right? Yes. But it's, it's so hard because they're at that age, and that's why I chose that age, is because they're right at that edge where if you get them the right fit, as you mentioned before, and, and I'm kind of digging for how I see things, uh, but again, it's up to the listeners to make up their own. You get somebody at that age the right fit, really the sky's the limit because now they're not going to lose training time because of injuries or because of aches or pains. They're going to be able to move the right ways, which we mentioned, or you mentioned earlier, you know, how to sit on your bike versus riding your bike. Um, and also ties back to the philosophy of, of helping someone be able to enjoy their bike longer. Whereas the power meter, yeah, it gives you data and allows you to quote unquote train smarter. But you know, my money, and I've been going this way in my coaching practice is teach the kids RPE, rated perceived exertion, and get them a good bike fit because, and, and teach them how to ride their bike bike handling skills, bumping, cornering, braking, uh, bunny hopping, as well as giving them different cadence ranges. So spin-ups all the way up as high as yeah. they can you know, teaching them to get, like you said, the three pillars of strength, flexibility, and mobility. And from there, you know, save up another six months a year and then get a power meter uh, after you're able to actually ride your bike. 
Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely a, a, the right approach, and I think you know, uh, you you talk about by handling skills. That's that's a huge one on my heart. I I think we we haven't done a pretty good job on our community to teach that and embrace that, um, and I think that's significant. I think uh, if we are writers have that, uh, we will have less uh, accidents happening uh, for sure. Um, so. Let's dive into that real quick before we wrap up, actually. How does a proper bike fit help you better able or better be able to handle your bike? So, um, you know, it, it comes down to um, one is, you know, confidence. And I a lot of cyclists come in um, trying to get a bike fit, but it also is because they feel lost. And that's the beginners. And then you get the ones that are looking for performance, but they they already have bad behavior, so they think they're they have all the skills in in bike handling, but they don't. Um, and and the, the bike fitting really will benefit because then they really will be able to engage the bike with the bike correctly. Uh, the body position will be is actually will be meant because I mean the the bike has a design in how your body and the body weight distribution should be around the bike and when you achieve that then they feel like wow i mean i can feel like i can i can control my bike that that's number one comment they say now i feel like i'm actually in control of the bike uh and that's because now they fully engage so i think that's one of the things that help now i think another part of the bike fitting i think is you can't think about bike fitting you come in once and it's set and it's done. So there are two types of bike fittings uh, processes and it's depend on the individual. One, they might come, they're super fit, they have all the three pillars that we discussed and you know you, they, they can have that position for a long time, long time, that new bike fit. But if you have a client come in where they have no mobility whatsoever and um, they have a lot of pain, they come in to my practice, well, I can only help them so much. So you come in today, we set it up the best case, but we do a, a plan of actions. Plan of actions mean, well, you need to either do this workouts off the bike or you need to seek these professional services. And then when you achieve these goals, you need to come see me. So it could be six months, it could be a year. So I have a lot of clients that have, you know, come six months after therapy with, either chiropractor or, or sport, sport masseuse, and they come back and say, okay, I'm ready. Now the adjustment is completely different because now I'm able to tap into their, their current abilities rather than before. So I think um, you can't just think about it just one time and it's done. No, uh, it's, it's not, it's, it doesn't do you any justice. So I, I call that progression fitting. It's based on who you are and how you progress. Uh, so I think that's important to, to discuss. Love that progression fitting. That is absolutely uh, a great way to look at it. And it's a team effort and over time it changes. So let's, let's end the, the interview here today. And, and I think you mentioned earlier about how bike geometry, we need to have you back again to talk about that. Cause that is a huge, uh, vital piece once you've been to a couple bike fits and you've ridden and bought your first one or two bikes even even for your first one uh it really is important has a big impact but before we have you back to wrap up today 
let's talk a little bit more about how to find that professional bike fitter. Um, what is it that the listeners should be looking for? You mentioned earlier that you're an independent consultant from the shops and the brands and the size cycle. So there's all these different advertising and retool and fist and this and that. What are the major building blocks that will help you find a professional bike fitter? Well, I mean, you have to think about a bike fitter. It's no different than a, any other professional service. It could be from a doctor or a dentist. Um, so when you go in and trying to find your primary doctor, you, you do your work. It's like, who are you? Where you practice? How many clients do you have? And you really want to have uh, a connection because, um, you know, when you're working with a bike fitter, it's, it's, it's truly you trusting that person, your situation. Uh, and and it could, you could be a recreational or you could be a, a racer. So you trust that person with your bike in your, in your case. And I think you have to do your homework. You have to first, I, don't, I think you need to call them uh, and you speak with them, see how the engagement is, first of all, how you feel that person. That's one. But you also have to ask them, hey, how long have you been doing bike fittings, right? And what is your philosophy? Uh, what type of schooling have you gone? Uh, and also is how many fits you do a week? Uh, because, you know, you could be in a bike shop or you could be whatever they are and they might just do one a month. Well, that's just 12 fits a year. Uh, that's not many uh, cases you've seen as a fitter. So that limit the expertise of the person uh, that you call in. Um, another one is, is like how much time do you spend uh, dedicating to go to continuing education, like trainings every year? Do you go to any uh, uh, four by fittings? Uh, you know, myself, I go to two, three, and, and the reason why is because I, I think you can never stop learning. You know, I think the last one is just, do you ride? And what type of bike do you ride? Uh, because, you know, you want to make sure that person can relate to your problems. And that's, that's critical. But I think, you know, and I, when you pull all that case together, you can identify, yes, I, I really want to work with this person. Because sometimes it's not just one visit. Um, I have clients that, you know, I know that, all right, we work with this. I need to see you next week. I need, I need you to get uh, a week of writing and you need to come back. Uh, and and that is, that's crucial there. So what about... And maybe this is too 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 tough of a question, but there are definitely areas in the country. I had a, a long distance triathlete, and she had to drive three and a half hours to get to a good fitter. You know, what about those who are in more rural areas or farther away, or or they don't own a vehicle that they trust can get them to the the closest good fitter? What are some red flags that you should not go to that fitter, and it's worth to save up and and make that big trip and maybe spend the overnight or make it a vacation? Uh, based around a bike fit? Yes, uh, that's very close to my heart because uh, I also, you know, when I get clients coming to my practice with a really bad um, uh, history of with bike fitter. So one of my, you know, one of my things on my website is uh, I provide six-day money-back guarantee to clients. I don't care. You don't, you don't have to worry. You don't like it you get your money back. And the reason I did that is because I gave those clients that have gone to several by fitters and no one have been able to help them. So now they're kind of opposed to really seek like a third time 
expertise. So I, I kind of said, you don't have to pay. You don't have to worry about it. You can come in. I want to help those individuals. I think the number one red flag is like, if you go to a place and you're trying to sell you more equipment than what they're trying to adjust, that's a red flag. Uh, uh, another one is uh, what type, where they're doing the fits. If they're just doing one in a corner there on the, and they don't really have a well-established environment and either it's in the fitting studio that you have that, but either a buy shop, more likely. Um, that's a red flag. Um, so I think you have to kind of do your work. And I think sometimes it's just worth just save up and go to one of those professional fitters that that's what they do. Um, because uh, otherwise you're going to be going back and forth to those uh, location near you and you're going to be frustrated and then you're going to be paying needed to begin with. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes they just trying to sell you the equipment because they have lack of knowledge and they don't, they really don't know what to do with you. Um, uh, and you know, usually the equipment is, is not the sol the solution at all. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of people here ask me, you know, can you do bike fit? I know that you're a fitter and I say no, cause I don't have the stems and, and the seat posts and the saddles available that you can try and, and walk out. And unfortunately we see a lot of people getting into bike. Fit. Oh, I have the certification. Come on in. And we all have to start somewhere, right? Um, not all of us have had the opportunity to be mentored by someone else with years of experience so that we're learning faster and not making huge mistakes, right? Um, yeah, and, and, you, and as you know, you're professional too. We only get better not just not just because of going to certifications and training. That's part. That's a our our uh, professional development. But in terms of um, experience development, is as many cases that we see, how many clients that we see. The more we see, the better we become, uh, and that takes years. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. So it sounds like your advice to those who are new bike fitters who are looking to reach your level of bike fitting over the years is to one, uh, to practice and to keep learning. Uh, is there anything else that you would tell or, or share with a, an, a new bike fitter to help them progress and, and become the best they possibly can? Yes. Uh, I think you have to be very humble, first of all, and always willing to learn. And I think uh, at times we also learn from our clients uh, and you always have to be open-minded. You can never be thinking, oh, uh, this is the, the best way because uh, I, was, I was thought that this is the only way that we can do this process. You can't think about that because we, you are working with humans and humans are, comp are very complex and individual and, um, and we might have different needs. So you have to be thinking always every single day. When I open, when a client come in, I always think about it, clear mind, uh, never uh, kind of like, kind of think about it, how I'm going to engage with these clients because I already have like a, the historical data. My job is to be completely open-minded and see how can I help. Um, and I think you have to be thinking that way and never, never, never stop learning. Um, uh, because if you stop learning or if you think you already know everyone, everything, then you pretty much become obsolete. Those are very, very big, wise words to, to end on today. Uh, Camille Abdurrahman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell the audience where they can find you and, and connect with you. 
Uh, you can find me at motionfit.net and you can also find me on Facebook, MotionFit. Uh, and if you have any questions, uh, I'd, be, I'd be glad to help as best I can. And then um, I'm here as, as a resource for our cycling community. Thank you so much for coming on, Camille. Really appreciated it. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HV Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.